as we study Lord's Day 44 this afternoon together. Let's take up Philippians chapter 3 for our scripture reading. Philippians chapter 3, and verses 12 through 17 will be our text together this afternoon. Congregation, hear now the word of God. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but it, for you it is safe. Beware of the dogs. Beware of evil, do, evil workers. Beware of the mutilation. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so, circumcised on the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what were these, but were, what things were gained to me? These I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ, and be found in him not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection, in the fellowship of his suffering, be conformed to his death. If by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but at one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching toward forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if anything you think otherwise, and if you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, and let us be of the same mind. Brethren, join in following my example, and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even with weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies, that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. This is the word of God. Let us be thankful for it. We also turn to a faithful summary of the word of God in the Heidelberg Catechism. Coming, as I said, to Lord's Day 44. And so we're asked this in question and answer 113. What is God's will for you in the 10th commandment? The answer, that not even the slightest desire or thought contrary to any one of God's commandments should even ever arise in our hearts. Rather, with all our hearts, we should always hate sin and delight in all righteousness. But can those converted to God keep these commandments perfectly? The answer, no. In this life, even the holiest have only a small beginning of this obedience. Nevertheless, with all seriousness of purpose, they do begin to live according to all 
not only some of God's commandments. Since no one in this life can keep the Ten Commandments perfectly, why does God want them preached so pointedly? The answer, first, so that all our life long we may more and more come to know our sinful nature, and thus more eagerly seek the forgiveness of sins and righteousness in Christ. Second, so that we may never stop striving, and never stop praying to God for the grace of the Holy Spirit, so that we may be renewed more and more after God's image, till after this life we reach our goal, perfection. As far our reading of the Catechism this afternoon. As we begin, children, I have a question for you. Have you ever heard your parents say something like this to you? Or perhaps have you ever yelled this at one of your younger siblings? Grow up. Act your age. It's time to act like an adult. So great has the burden of maturity and growth become in our society at large that we often make jokes about, quote-unquote, adulting. I don't feel like adulting today, we'll say. And these jokes are humorous in themselves, and they bring out a good laugh every now and again. But we all do, beloved, over time, transition from infancy to childhood to the adolescent years to adulthood. We grow, we mature. Growing up and growing older, growing in maturity is not an optional part of life on this earth. Like we heard in our wisdom reading in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11, Paul says, when I was a child, I, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. I grew in the faith and the fear and knowledge of the Lord Jesus. And as the Catechism comes to the end of its study of the Ten Commandments, this is part of what you and I are called to through the Ten Commandments, through the law of God, growing more and more in love for our redeeming God. So let me begin by asking you and asking myself this afternoon, is that what you long for? Is that what I long for? Growing in love for God, growing in the fear and knowledge of Christ. That will be our theme as we take these things up this afternoon. The Tenth Commandment calls us to grow in Christian maturity through faith in Christ. The Tenth Commandment calls us to grow in Christian maturity through faith in Christ. We'll take this up under two points, two headings. First, the call to Christian maturity. And second, the catalyst, the fuel for Christian maturity. The call to it, the fuel for it. Well, in our text, in Philippians 3, Paul spends the first 11 verses talking about the danger to the church, the danger of the Judaizers who were wreaking havoc amongst God's people. The Judaizers who, who thought that their confidence for salvation came from the flesh, came from the fact that they were bloodline children of Abraham. Doesn't matter who I am, doesn't matter what I do, I am a child of Abraham. I'm a Jew. Therefore, God loves me. And Paul says, this is poison. The confidence for confidence for, for acceptance by God coming from law keeping, coming from circumcision, coming from a misplaced zeal. He says, this is worthless. This is danger for your souls. So Paul lays out his own resume. And he says, if any Judaizer has supposed reason for confidence and the flesh, oh, does he ever have more? He can outdo any of them. 
But he says at the end of the day, this is loss. This is rubbish. For the sake of Christ, all that I attained, the supposed holiness I thought I have, I consider it trash. I give it up for the sake of Christ, for what I have in him as a far greater value. It is of infinite value. But then we come to our text in verse 12. There Paul says, says this in first in Philippians 3, verse 12. He says, not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Not that I've attained everything, but I press on because I belong to Christ. Christ has laid hold on me, therefore I will pursue this. I'm not there yet, but I belong to him. Paul admits that he's not arrived where he wants to be. He looks back to his conversion. He looks forward to the resurrection. But not just the fact that he will be raised again in, in the flesh, but all that comes with the glory of that day. Perfect knowledge. Perfect holiness. The desires of his heart perfected. And we know, beloved, don't we? From Romans chapter 7 that this was a struggle for Paul. Paul struggled with the same things that you and I struggle with. Paul says in Romans chapter 7, For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do want, do not want, is what I keep on doing. And nevertheless, he says in our text, again, verses 12 through 15, this, not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brother, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. I'm grateful for your patience with my voice this afternoon. Paul said, is saying, who I was before, who I was before my conversion, is not who I am now in Christ. The past no longer defines me. And now the tenth commandment comes to us and it asks the same question. We know as for working our way through the catechism before many times throughout our lives that the commandments get at deeper things than merely the surface. At deeper things more than killing someone with a knife or with a gun. And the Lord Jesus says if you, if you've hated your murderer, he says if you've looked at a woman with lustful intent, you're an adulterer. The Ten Commandments get at something much deeper than what is on the ex the external side of things. It gets at the heart. It gets to where no one else can see but God. You see, beloved, on the surface, I can tell if you believe that our God is the one true God, or if you just think he's one of many. Externally, you can look at me and see I've built for myself a graven image of some sort. On the surface, elders can tell if you're observing the Lord's Day. On the surface, children, I can tell if you're obedient to your mom and dad. On the surface, you can tell if I've killed anyone. 
externally. I can see it that you've not strayed from your husband or your wife. On the surface, you can see that I've not robbed a bank or stolen anything. On the surface, I can tell that you've never literally perjured yourself in the court of law. We pat ourselves on the back. But beloved, I cannot see into your heart. You cannot see into my heart. You cannot see if I've been wrestling with covetous thoughts. You see, all the commandments that came before this, the external things that we see in them began with a violation of this commandment, with the desire for something that was not ours to desire. Coveting grows into false worship when it rejects God's ways or more appealing ways. Coveting grows into disrespect for those in authority when I want to do my things my way. Coveting grows into murder when I stab someone in the back or when I kill someone whom God has given to me with my words or the hate that boils within my heart. Coveting grows into adultery when I set set my thoughts and my desires on someone else other than my spouse. Coveting grows into stealing when I set my desires on my neighbor's ox, his donkey, his cow, our beloved today, his house, his car, his way of life. Coveting grows into false witness when I love my influence or my own hide more than I love the truth. Coveting gets at our most basic desires, the things that our hearts really, truly love. It bears out that question once again. Do I want to continue to serve myself as a spiritual child? Or in the fear and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, serving him in my thoughts and my desires, that the work of my hands would be God-glorifying, begins in the heart. True worship begins with a desire and a love for God, a hunger for his beauty. A godly society begins with a, with a people who see Christ as king and respect those who he sovereignly appoints as authorities over them. A godly marriage begins with a desire to serve another person whom God has given me. Godly use of our wealth begins with a desire to serve God with the gifts that he has poured out upon us, rather than merely to accumulate more and more and more for myself by whatever means necessary. Our godly life of integrity begins with a love for the truth, even when that truth hurts me. Because truth belongs to God and falsehood is a product of Satan. According to the Catechism, beloved, a godly life means that not even the slightest desire or thought contrary to the will any one of God's commandments should ever arise in our hearts. Rather, with all our hearts, we should always hate sin and delight in all righteousness. If that's the bar, beloved, who can stand? that not even the slightest desire against any of God's commandments ever enters into our hearts. Beloved, if we were to take a show of hands of who was able to say that they've achieved this type of holiness, not one of our hands could go up this afternoon. Can we do it on our own? We know the answer, no. The Catechism reminds us, even in this life, the holiest of only a small beginning of this type of obedience. But then the catechism continues in question and answer 114. Nevertheless, even though we know these things, that that we have all fallen short. Nevertheless, with all seriousness of purpose, they do begin to live according to all 
not some of God's commands. Again, Paul in our text, not that I've already attained this, not that I've become perfect, but I press on because Christ has laid hold on me. I love my Savior. Therefore, I will pursue him. But wait a minute, Pastor, what gives? Didn't Paul say that he struggles with sinful desires? That he is not fully attained to what life will be like on the day of resurrection? How can he say these things? How can he even say in our text, follow me, emulate what I have done, emulate the example of other godly people? How can he say this? Because, beloved, Paul shows us the fuel, the catalyst for our growth, our maturity in Christ. The fuel for our growth, the catalyst for our growth in holiness is not found in you. It is not found in me. It is found in Christ alone. It's found in the gospel. Secondly, this afternoon, the gospel sets the disordered desires of our hearts straight once again. And this is good news for you and for me. Yes, it indeed shows us how far we have fallen short. And again, we can see this in question and answer 115. Since, since no one can keep the law of God perfectly, we ask the question, why does God want it preached so pointedly? He gives us two things. First, so that lifelong we may come to know more and more, know our sinfulness. It's a good thing that we know the depths of our sin. That's not precisely what's, what's happened to Paul in our text. No one could boast more than him. But he considers it all garbage loss for the sake of Christ. I have not attained perfection in everything I thought I had. I gave up for Christ. Therefore, he says, I will pursue a godly life. Therefore, I will pursue growth in holiness, growth in sanctification through Christ alone. The law shows us how far short we fall. And that fall is not just a small one. We don't fall just a little bit. We don't just mess up a little bit. We don't make a mistake here and there, beloved. We have on our own fallen completely. More and more we come to know our sin and weakness. And we know this by the way in which we interact with those in our own church, don't we? In our own families. If you talk to someone who is who is elderly in the faith, someone who has lived many years with the Lord Jesus, You talk to them about these things. You you ask them how it's going. You will not find anyone who knows the depth of their sin more than someone who has walked with the Lord Jesus for many years and decades. We can look at them and we can say, these are the, the holiest amongst us. We want to be like them. And they will tell us they know their sin more keenly than anyone else. But beloved, The more we know our sin and the depth of our depravity, the grace of Christ shines all the brighter. Those who have been forgiven much love much. Would you truly understand what Christ died for? For you, for your sins. Then you are much better able to approach others in their sins. You are much quicker to forgive others because you know that however much another person has offended you, hurt you, sinned against you, and I know there are some terrible and awful examples of this. We do want justice to be done, beloved. We don't ignore the sin that others have done against us. But we do remember that the offense and the hurt that we suffer at the hand of other people it pales in comparison 
to the offense of our sin to God. That pales in comparison to what Christ has forgiven you of and me of. That is a beautiful thing. So the preaching of the law not only reminds us both the magnitude of our sin and therefore the magnitude of the grace of Christ, and then also as question and answer 115 reminds us this. It drives us to never stop striving, to never stop praying to God for the grace of the Holy Spirit so that we may be renewed more and more after God's image until after this life we do reach our goal. Notice after this life we reach that goal perfection. And so not only are we not on our own in this, we we have the grace of Jesus Christ, we have the power of the Holy Spirit, whom he sends to us to continue to make us more and more like him. It's not about you and your effort, me and my effort. It's about the grace of Christ and the power of his Spirit. And so, beloved, do you want to love God more? Do you want to serve him with greater strength, greater energy? Don't think, then, that you just need to dig deeper into yourself. Look to Christ all the more. If you understand what he has delivered you from, how could you not but serve him? If you know what Christ has delivered you from, how could you not serve him? Growth of the Christian faith, the deepening of our desires for God, for his worship, his ways, his glory, begins by coming to terms with our own inability. And his complete perfection, his complete provision. If attaining to the resurrection of Christ, if attaining to a higher level of holiness, of greater growth and sanctification depends on you, beloved, you will find yourself in one of two ditches. If it depends on you, you will find yourself in one of two ditches. Either you'll be spinning your wheels in the mud, in the muck, stuck and disappointed, and you will despair. Or you'll be filled with a false sense of self-worth, value, false sense of self, pride, self-righteousness. Just like Paul did in his days as a Pharisee. He was convinced he had everything he needed, but it was a lie. But we know that Christ said that unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you'll never see God. Think of our Lord's Sermon on the Mount. Before his conversion, Paul thought that the fact that he was a Pharisee, a zealous man for God, made him right with God. But Christ says in John 5.20, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, if you want to grow in the Christian life, if you want to mature in Christ, it begins with a desire not merely for self-improvement, but a deep-rooted desire for the mercy and grace of God. Verses 18 and 19 of our text tell us the end result of our selfish desires, walking as an enemy of the cross, leading to destruction and hell. But beloved, we end with verses 20 through 21. Philippians 3, 20 through 21. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly await for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Beloved, our citizenship is in heaven. We belong to him. Have we attained the level of sanctification that we desire in this life? No, we'll, we'll struggle through that until the day that we die. We press on towards that goal until the day we die. 
And this life, even the holiest, have only a small beginning of this obedience. But beloved, by the grace of God, let this be your confession and mine as we conclude this afternoon. May we never stop striving and never stop praying to God for the grace of the Holy Spirit so that we may be renewed more and more after God's image until after this life we reach our goal, perfection. Amen.